Hey, good morning, church. Um, thanks for uh, bringing the church together this morning in this place. My name's Brian. Uh, if we have not met, uh, thanks for coming. If you're new, checking us out, special welcome to you. We've got a welcome table in the back with uh, a lot of information about things that are going on here, answer any questions that you may have. Or if you just want to come up afterwards and say hi to me, <clears throat> I'd love to meet you. Pastor Kemp uh, will be up here at the end also, but... Uh, yeah, love to, to make a connection with you. Thanks for being here this morning. Just a couple things that are going on uh, just to remind you of. Uh, first is this, we're doing Thanksgiving baskets where we, uh, as individual families or um, just individual people, we, we take a Thanksgiving basket and we fill it up with all the Thanksgiving meal things and then distribute it to people in need that we know and are connected to. We've got a few baskets left. If you uh, would like to grab one this morning and uh, take it home with you and then... Um, just a couple days before Thanksgiving, we've got instructions for you, but we'll drop it off to Jeff and Stacy, who will then pass it out to all the places that they're going. But a few baskets are left if you would like to take a basket to fill this morning. Also, last announcement is this. There's a men's worship and testimony night coming up Tuesday, November 14th. Yes, guys are pumped. That's going to be at 6 p.m. at Porchlight Coffee in uh, Central South Akron. And uh, just sign up in the back just to let us know that you're coming. And uh, looking forward to hanging out. And actually, just truth be told, you could probably come even if you don't sign up. So if it's Tuesday the 14th at 5.30 and your plans fall through and you think, oh man, I didn't sign up, I can't go. No, you can. So just come, right? Just come. It's a great time. It's been so good hanging out with the guys. Just the last six or seven months, we've been doing some regular events. So next one, Tuesday, uh, November 14th. Okay, we're in week number two of our series on shame. And um, as we dig in this morning, I know maybe some of you guys weren't here last week, shame on you for not being here last week. Do you like that? I'm just kidding. We don't do shame. God doesn't do shame. I was joking about that. Uh, But if you weren't here last week, I want to just catch up to speed on just the core nugget of where we went, and then we'll launch in and uh, and delve a little bit deeper. Um, But I want to review last week through the lens of karaoke. Can I do that? And we'll do that because, yeah, all the people that are clapping, a a group of young adults from our church surprised me on Friday night with a karaoke night. And it was so fun. And um, uh, we've got some talented performers and singers in Garden City. I just want to say we've got some some talented folks. But um, I would say my best performance on Friday was uh, the song Baby Come Back by Player. Does anybody know that song? Anybody? Yeah. Claire, just give it a little bit. I was going to, but I, I, I trust you more. Okay, Claire's done. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. But Claire, well, I was just gonna—I was letting you roll solo style. That was good. So the song goes, "Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. There was something." And everything about you, right? That, I didn't know how that was going to come out, but I just want to be truthful with the young adults. On Friday, I feel like I nailed the verses really well, but when it came to the chorus, and if you ever do karaoke, sometimes you know, like you're not sure what key the song's going to be in. The first chorus, I had, a, I had a hard time finding the key. Right, just being honest, just being truthful. And uh, as you're standing in front of people singing, and you're like not, I didn't know, like, do I go high harmony, low harmony? Do I go straight melody? But where is the melody? Um, as I'm standing in front of people, I'm just being honest and authentic here. Here's what happened. I'm singing the, the chorus, and I'm not nailing it. 
And then as I'm not nailing it in front of people, here's what happens. Shame happens. What is shame? Reminder of last week. Shame is the movement from higher to lower. Okay? And so as I'm standing in front of like the young adults, I'm struggling to find the chorus. I'm struggling, like find those notes and get on the right like pitch. Like as I'm as I'm standing there, I'm fe- like the higher to lower thing was happening. I nailed the verse, but uh oh, Brian's struggling a little bit in the chorus, right? And then so shame, like New Testament, multiple words for it, but the word that we're running with just to help us understand it is the trajectory from a person going from higher to lower. So as I'm standing in front of the group doing karaoke, I'm I'm going higher to lower on the chorus, and then here's the next part of shame. Because the, the f- shame is also something that we feel. It's not just like an, a perception of how we're viewed, but it's, the, it's to put the face to the blush, okay? So it's to move from higher to lower, and then the feeling associated with that is, the, is, is blushing, like, oh no, I'm exposed here. This is embarrassing, right? Shame. The movement from higher to lower and to put the face to the blush, okay? Now... I continued to sing the rest of my karaoke song, and it went marvelously after maybe the first chorus or so. But just to remind us, if you weren't here last week, um, when we sin, New Testament word sin is an archery term, it's to miss the mark, okay? So on the chorus, I missed the mark. I sinned, and because of that, I felt shame. Sin and shame are the dynamic duo, and it's not like dynamic in a good way, but sin and shame always travel together. Where there's a missing of the mark, there is the feeling of moving higher to lower, to put the face to the blush. There's the feelings that come associated with that. Now, all of us have missed the mark and all of us carry shame. All of us miss the mark and all of us carry shame question is, and this is why we're digging into this, what does God long to do about that? That's why we're talking about shame. Now, with that in mind, I want us to turn to Leviticus chapter 16, and then we're going to get a picture in Leviticus 16, and then we're going to go to the New Testament and, um, and look at its fulfillment. But in Leviticus 16, the context here is uh, God is describing to his people through Moses what's going to happen on the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is, um, God created it with the knowledge that we are sinners, we miss the mark regularly and often, and one time a year on the Day of Atonement, like, God's going to show us what he's going to do with our sin, and remember, sin never travels alone, sin and shame are the pair that always go hand in hand, what he's going to do with our sin and what he's going to do with our shame. So Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse 20. Now, just want to say that we're picking it up here in verse 20. There's already a whole lot of things that are going on regarding the Day of Atonement. When God makes an offering, uh, a covering for our sin, there's always more going on than less. It's always more complicated and more robust than what we think. We're going to isolate in on one part of one thing that happens on the Day of Atonement, but, but it's so important that we need to focus on it and linger in it. Okay, Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse 20. 
And when he, the high priest, has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting and the altar, he, the high priest, shall present the live goat. Okay, focus in now on one part of the day of atonement, and we're going to focus in on a particular singular one goat here. Verse 21. And Aaron, who's the high priest, shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness." The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free into the wilds. This is a pretty amazing thing that's happening right here. When you recognize that you have missed the mark, this is fabulous. Okay, here, let's just, let's just draw this out a second. God makes a provision, right, um, where our sin, and I, and I love here in the text how there's three different Hebrew words used to describe sin. It says our iniquities, our transgressions, and our sins, okay? All the words that we could use for how we mess up, they're all being used here. So if you're thinking about a way that you've messed up and you're wondering if that applies here, right, if that transfers to the, to the goat, yes, it all applies. Iniquities, transgression, and sins, all of yours and all of mine, all of Israel's messing up for the calendar year, somehow transfer to the high priest who then lays his hands on this goat and then all of our junk goes from us through the representative priest and then is laid upon this animal. Gone from us onto the live goat. Okay? Now, don't rush past the glory and the significance of this. Let's personalize this for a second. Let's say that we could um, somehow magically arrange a video of you. And the video, we'll call it your five-minute low-light reel. You guys know what a highlight reel is? It's your best. But for the last calendar year, we're going to take the five minutes of your worst, the worst sins that you have performed for the whole year, and we're just going to get five minutes of that. And we've got it, and we're going to play it now. Roll film. Just you your worst one calendar year and we're going to start playing that video right now in front of us okay and it's just on public display the things done in private the things said you thought in private the things that you thought in your own mind and in your own heart publicly displayed the things that you should have done where God like lobbed you a softball of like a beautiful thing that you should do where you just didn't even take a swing at it. Didn't try the thing. It's all up there. We're seeing all of it. It's the video. Five minutes of you missing the mark. Okay, now remember, sin 
never travels by itself. It always, always, always travels with shame. Where there's one, where's the other? So as your low light reel of five minutes of sin is being played, here's what's happening to you. The same thing that happened to me while I was messing up on the chorus of Baby Come Back, except it's way worse. You are shame, trending from higher to lower, and your face is being put to the blush. Shame. Now, we see your sin, and now you start to feel shame. Sin revealed, number one. Two, shame felt. Number three, I wonder how long it would take for each of us to walk out. How long would we last? Would we last five seconds, right? Maybe like a split second before the low light reel starts in anticipation of what's coming. We just duck out sooner than the video actually starts. Maybe some of us may get to one minute. But as our sin is being publicly portrayed and displayed, as shame sets in and we feel it, I'm just hypothesizing here. I know for me, I wouldn't make it long. All of us are out the back door, into our cars, and we are driving, here's the key word, away. Where? Uh, Anywhere! Away from here. And would we ever come back? I I think we would probably stay away. Look at what God provides on the Day of Atonement. Instead of us carrying our sin and the shame that is inseparably linked from it, God makes a provision. That your sin, your five-minute low-light reel, plus all the others that didn't make it to the low-light reel, your sin removes from you, and it transfers to the goat. From you to the goat, not on you, now it's on the goat. We'll call it a legal transfer. It's official. It's in the court log as officially taking place. You are not responsible for this anymore. This wasn't you. Think about the New Testament when Paul is explaining Jesus at length in his epistles, and he's using law court language to describe the things that Jesus has done, right? A real and significant legal transference of sin and guilt happens, right? And this is what is being portrayed for us in Leviticus 16. It is a legal transfer of our junk to the goat. It's gone from us. And then, and then what does the goat do? It does what we would do. It goes away. Because when you have that sin and you have that shame and it's all centered in one place, right? It can't stay among us. It has to go away. We would go away, but God doesn't want us to go away. He wants our sin and our shame to go away. And so the goat takes it and bears it. Think about that word, to bear. The goat bears our iniquity, our sin, and our transgression. 
and then the goat goes away. You stay, the goat goes away. I stay, praise the Lord, the goat goes away. What's it carrying? My sin. Sin never travels by itself. It's always associated with shame. My sin and my shame are leaving. So we don't have to go anywhere. Is God not good? Is he not kind? Is he not gracious? He is. What a provision. This is exactly what Jesus does for us. The scapegoat in Leviticus 16 that takes our sin and our shame and it goes from us to the head of the goat, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. The scapegoat was a prefigurement picture of what Jesus was going to come and do. What the scapegoat had to do once every year, Jesus would come and do that once for all time. He is the one who bears our sin and shame. Jesus gets sent away. We stay. Jesus goes away. Like last week, the pigs rushing off of the cliff. They go away. The man gets to stay in his right mind. Jesus goes away. We stay. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that Jesus endured the cross and shame. I'm not going to tell you what he did with that shame yet. We'll get to that. But Jesus endured the cross and shame. Why did he endure the cross and shame? Well, because sin and shame always travel together. They're inseparably linked. So did Jesus bear our sin? Yes. Did Jesus bear our shame? Yes. But that's the tricky part for us. See, when I was younger, um, and I, I remember being taught about the cross, and one of the singular things that um, I was taught very well in my younger years was the physical pain that Jesus endured on the cross to make an atonement for my sin. And I heard a lot of teachings about the excruciating nature of the physical torture that Jesus went through as the lamb who was sacrificed for sin. And the horrors of the cross are horrific. And that teaching is good and necessary and right, and it's absolutely true. That Jesus suffered physically in his person in ways that are incomprehensible to us for the sake of covering and making atonement for our sin. But I don't ever remember hearing anyone talk about the associated emotional trauma that comes from bearing sin. I don't ever remember being taught that Jesus didn't just bear our sin, but he also bore our shame. And it's interesting, when you read the New Testament account of Jesus going to the cross, um, yes, you can, you can see the physical pain regarding him laying his life down for a covering for our sin. You can see that. You can extrapolate from what we're told, right? But what is, what, what is so obviously clear 
in the text surrounding Jesus and his crucifixion, what like leaps off of the page when we start to have categories to see it and think about it and understand it is the shame that just jumps off the pages that is being heaped and dumped and overwhelmingly assaulted upon Jesus. Did he suffer physically in his death as a sacrifice for our sin? Yes. Did he suffer in bearing the weight of our shame? Well, I, at this point in my life, I just think that it is unmistakable. Turn to Luke. Let's just start off. We're, gonna do, we're just going to look at some highlights here um, surrounding Jesus' death. And I want us to just focus in, not on the physical pain that he suffered for the sake of covering sin, but I want us to look at the emotional trauma that came from him bearing the shame that was inseparably linked and attached to him bearing our sin, right? Because sin and shame always travel together. Where my sin goes, my shame also goes, okay? So if Jesus is going to take my sin, your sin, well, he's also taking its partner shame. But look at it. In the Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 63, right? I, I'm, we're not going to go through the whole account of the Passion Week. It's dripping with shame, right? But just a couple examples here. Luke 22, starting in verse 63. Now, uh, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. Right? So these are soldiers here, a group, a regiment, I don't know what the number is, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's a group of them, and they are surrounding Jesus, and they are physically assaulting him, yes, um, and as they're physically assaulting him and beating him, they are also mocking him. Mocking, they are pouring and just dumping shame on him. Their design is to make Jesus go from higher to lower and to put his face to the blush, right? I, don't, I hope this has never happened to you. Have you ever been surrounded by a group of people and their mission and their objective is to make you feel as small as you can and they point out all of your flaws, all of your shortcomings, and they're just deriding you and making fun of you with their words, right? That's what these soldiers are doing to Jesus. Jesus somehow in, in the heavenly realms is beginning to start bearing our sin, and the mocking shame associated with it is starting to be poured out on him as well. So they are mocking him as they beat him. Verse 64, they also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, tell us, which one of us was it that struck you? So these soldiers, are just, they're just punching him. They're beating him. Physical pain, yes. And the emotional trauma of saying, hey, you think you're so special, Jesus. Tell us, by name, which of us just struck you in the cheek? Which of us just need you in the groin? Which of us just elbowed you in the back? Tell us, ha, ha, ha. It's not just physical pain. It is emotional torture that they're seeking to pour on him. Because where sin goes, shame goes. And they're both happening. They're epicentering on Jesus right now. The whole thing is moving, right? And then, verse 65, and they said many other things again him, right? And in order for the scriptures to remain PG-13, they, 
Luke can't document for us what they said. It would be inappropriate for me to read it in an audience such as this. If we read these words, we would feel blushed to the face. Like they are just assaulting Jesus emotionally as shame from them to Jesus is just getting poured on him. And, right, and they're blaspheming him. Fast forward to Luke chapter 23, verse 10. Okay, now Jesus gets transferred to Herod's court as he just gets paraded around to all these various places where they're just going to make fun of him. Luke 23, verse 10. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently, vehemently accusing him. Okay, so it was the soldiers that were just mocking him and attacking him. Now we've got the religious leaders of the day, right? The who's who in the religious circles. And they're surrounding Jesus and they're doing the same thing. Probably from a different lens, right? Soldiers mock you in one way. They've got their angle on what they think is funny. But the religious leaders are mocking him through their own lens. And it sounds different, but it's the same. They're just assaulting him with shame. And then verse 11, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Okay, so we got the religious leaders. Now we've got Herod, governmental leaders, and again, more soldiers who are just straight treating him with contempt and they are mocking him. Where sin goes, shame follows. Jesus is on the path to bearing our sin and he is quite obviously bearing shame as well. Then, arraying Jesus in splendid clothing, not because they think he deserves it. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate, right? They just continue to mock him, not just with their words, but with their actions, pouring shame upon Jesus, trying to make Jesus go from higher to lower and to put his face to the blush. Jesus is at the epicenter carrying shame. Fast forward to verse 18. Right now, Jesus has got a different crowd around him. He had the soldiers, he had the religious leaders, and the governmental leaders all mocking him, holding him in contempt, making fun of him. Different crowd here in verse 18. Now it's just the commoners. It's just normal, everyday Israelites who are gathered around him and Pilate. And Pilate says, hey, do you guys want me to let go Jesus? I can release one um, person to you every every year, right? One person will be delivered from having to go to the cross. Pilate says, I'd like to let go of Jesus in the crowd, verse 18. But they all cried out together, no, no, not him. Away with this man. Away with him. What? What happens to the scapegoat? Send him away. Get out of here. Go away. What does the crowd want to do with Jesus? Away. This one. Send him out. We don't want him here anymore. Send him out. And instead, right, send Jesus away. Release to us Barabbas. The murderer insurrectionist, right? The bad guy. You take Jesus, uh, we don't want him. Give to us Barabbas because we think he's more valuable to society and to us than Jesus is. Away with this man. It's amazing when you read the scriptures how prophetic nasty people can be. 
These, right, so many times uh, in the scriptures, broken and sinful people say things that you're like, dang, that was insightful. I don't think that this crowd realizes that they are uh, making the connection here. They're not. But they are making a connection between Jesus and what he is currently doing. Taking sin upon himself. Taking shame upon himself. What happens to whoever takes sin and shame? Scapegoat? Where does he go? Away. Wilderness, wilds, not here, not among us, not in this place. We're too respectable for this guy. Away. In their mocking of him, they're declaring over him the truth of him that he is the Leviticus 16 scapegoat. And they don't even know that he's doing it for them. Wow. Verse 21. But they kept shouting. Pilate says once more, hey, can I release Jesus? I don't know what he really did. I don't see anything wrong with him. And then the crowd says, right? But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The Romans um, had a lot of ways to make you feel really bad about yourself. One horrific way would be to throw you into the Colosseum with um, tens of thousands of people gathered around, mocking you, making fun of you, knowing that you're an enemy of the state, you're a nobody, and waiting for the beasts to come out or other gladiators to destroy you publicly, to make a spectacle of you. The Romans were skilled at making you feel this small and then killing you. Um, but the cross, like at least in the amphitheater where the beasts are coming after you and where the gladiators are chasing you down, as many Christians were, but at least in the amphitheater, there's an opportunity for dignity. You can stand up to the beasts. You can stand up to the gladiators. You can show dignity even in the midst of this place that is designed to take you from higher to lower and to put your face to the blush in front of everybody. Right? But on the cross, man, there isn't, there isn't much space for dignity. There isn't much room there. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room for dignity on the cross because you're just there. You can't move. And it's hard for you like, to even say anything. Jesus said some really provocative and powerful things. But like you're just trying to catch your breath and you're naked and you're just there exposed for the world to see that you're a nobody. And this is what we do to nobodies. Shame is just erupting all around him. All around him. He's the epicenter in the universe of shame. Why? Because he's bearing sin, and sin never travels alone. Always comes with shame, 100% of the time. And he's carrying it. Like the scapegoat bore the iniquities and the transgressions and the sins. And all the shame that comes from our low light reel, the scapegoat bore that away. Jesus is bearing all of it. And the shame 
that comes with it. Verse 32. We get to the cross. Here we are. Thank you, Romans, for designing the cross, huh? Making us feel, right? Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. I don't know about you, but at the end of my days, my hope would be um, similar to what you see in the Old Testament, like the, the older men that gather at the city gate. Those were the respected individuals who had lived a noble and a good life, and they're sitting in a place of prominence at the city gate, surrounded by other good men. Um, that is the preferred place for us to, to be at the end of our lives, right? Because the fruit of our hands, the good things that we've done have been seen over time. We've been placed in a place of dignity and honor with people of dignity and honor. That's not where Jesus is. Who is he surrounded by? The men at the city gate with nobility and honor being dripped upon them by all the people that are thankful that they're a part of their community? No, Jesus is on the cross and he's surrounded by criminals. That's the company that he is being associated with. Not because he deserved it, because that's where he is. Because he's taking our sin, he's taking our shame. Yeah, he's got the right company around him now, given what he is doing. The two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And as Jesus is acting honorably and nobly in the face of shame, resting him and reigning on him, here's what the friends around him, I use that word jokingly, here's what the people around him are doing. They are casting lots to divide up his garments. This guy means nothing to us, but actually the tattered remains of his clothing, that's worth something. Let's divide up. Let's play a game to see who gets the garments, what's left of them. Boy, that's, that'll bring shame. And the people stood by watching Right? This amazing spectacle of gross dysfunction is happening. And it's like people just bought a movie ticket and they're just gathered around just watching. They got nothing better to do. I'll just stay here and watch this madness. So the shame's public and people like participating and watching. And as the people stood by watching, the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, right? right? They're declaring, right? If he's the Messiah, he is the Messiah. He is. But they're scoffing him, and they're deriding him, and they are causing him to go from higher to lower, to put his face to the blush with their words, because, well, that they think they know who this guy is. He's a nobody. He's a nothing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, the chosen ones, verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him. They mocked him before, but it keeps going because there's more mocking that needs to happen. 
So they mocked him and they came up and they offered him sour wine saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself, you nobody, you nothing. You think you're something. You say you're something. Who are you now, big man? Nothing. Mocking shame, dripping out of every person around Jesus, going straight on to Jesus. He is not just bearing our sin, he is bearing its associated shame. Verse 38, there was also an inscription over him that said, a plaque above him, this is the king of the Jews. And they did not mean that as a designation of honor. Oh, but it's amazing how broken and sinful people can be so prophetic and declare the truth without even realizing what they're doing. But the sign was meant to be above him to cascade shame over him. Jesus did not just come to bear our sin. He did praise him for it but he also came to bear the shame that accompanies it it couldn't be any clearer in the story i heard a ton about the physical torture that jesus experienced covering sin i just didn't hear a ton about the shame that he also bore on our behalf observation you and i all of us we fight tooth and nail against the notion that we have missed the mark. We hate it when people call it out and tell us that we've missed the mark. Every married couple in the room, if you're single, just trust us. When your spouse brings to you a correction, hey, Brian, you did not blah, blah, blah very well, and it made me feel blah, blah, blah. Do you know what my internal reaction is instantaneously and immediately? No, I didn't. I didn't do that. But not only that, you did this and you did this. We hate it when people point out our sin. Why? Because sin never travels alone. It's always accompanied with shame. We hate how we feel when people call out our whatever. As a culture, have you noticed that as a culture, we are warring against morality and goodness. As a culture, we long to call sin and dysfunction good. Why? Because if it's not good and I do it, then I feel shame and I hate shame. So I, in an effort to not feel shame, I will say that all the things that I'm, I'm doing are not bad, but they're good. And we fight against, we fight against shame, tooth, and nail, which means we defend ourselves and we fight against things being wrong and being labeled as sin because we don't want to carry the shame that goes with it. It's an incredible Herculean effort that we as human beings go through to get out of being labeled a sinner so we cannot carry our shame. We spend so much time, so much energy, so much resource doing that. When God says, please stop doing that, you don't have to do that anymore. I have made provision for you. 
As a people, we want to throw morality and goodness away when God says, no, 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 don't do that. Do this. By faith, believe that Jesus bore your sin. It was transferred from you to him. And he didn't just carry your sin, but by faith, believe that the shame that comes from all of our stuff, when the legal transfer of sin goes from us to him, the emotional transfer of shame goes from us to him as well. That's the solution. We don't have to leave. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to declare our innocence and our worth because Jesus went away. We get to stay. Band, come on back up. The world shames and reviles and jeers Jesus. But we know, we know why he came. To bear our sin and to bear our shame. And so we don't do what the world does with Jesus. We actually worship him. We celebrate him. We honor him. We lift him. Because he has made provision. He's made a way. And all he invites us to do is simply believe and receive and say thank you for taking my sin and my shame, taking it away so we don't have to go. We get to stay. Father in heaven, Thank you sounds trite. Doesn't uh, doesn't seem up to the task or sufficient. Regarding what you have done for us. But yet we give you we give you what we got, and our best is to say thank you for the gracious gift of your son that bore all of our junk on himself and took all of the shame associated with it so that we need not carry any of it. Thank you for the liberty that you bring, for the lightness that it is to allow Jesus to carry our burdens. And so, Father, now we live in a world that hates you and mocks you, it jeers at you, but Father, you have given us by faith eyes to see who you really are and what you really have done. And so now we want to do what is only appropriate, and that is to worship you because of who you are and because of what you've done. And Father, I pray that as we do so in the couple weeks to come, that you would lead us into the great liberty and levity and freedom that comes from knowing 
who Jesus is and what he has done in taking our sin and our shame upon himself. Set us free into the abundant life that comes on the other side of knowing that and walking in that. Thanks for loving us so well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and now sing. Amen.